permission to rec oh can i record oh, them oh, here? sorry yeah that's what's wrong i haven't given you permission yet here we go Recording in progress. Okay. Um, so, Annika, Sue and Hannah aren't going to make it, but I have some questions from them, if that's okay. Oh, uh, so, so at least we can um, still cover them, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll start with um, whoever's here, and then we'll, we'll add them on at the end. So sure. That's great. That's a really good idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they might cover what we're thinking, and then it kind of... Oh, that's true. Yeah, do you want to start with them? Why not? And that kind of gets yeah. the ball rolling, too. Absolutely, that's a good idea, Karen. Let me have a look. Um, okay, question one. How do you get out of a freeze slash reactive state into a proactive state, i.e. when your horse shoots its head up, looks at something else, like spooks at something, and all you kind of want to do is like freeze and curl up and get off, rather than like, how can you quickly get out of that state into what you know you need to do? is mm -hmm. one question. Okay, yeah, that's a good place to start. <clears throat> okay, so this is such a good question because it's something that, like, first of all, we can all resonate with as a question. We've all been in that freeze state. Um, and it's a really useful skill to be able to access. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in handy in a lot of different places. So, so essentially what's happening here is that um, and we, you know, we've covered bits and pieces of this before, but the, um, when our brain perceives a threat, um, it is putting us into like protection mode, survival mode, right? Which the go-to are freeze, fight, fight, or flee. And so interesting, there's actually two at play there, right? There's the freeze, but then also it's a curl into a ball and get off my horse. And that's the flight too, right? Like it's that instinct to just get the heck out of there. Like stop what you're doing and get out of there. <laughs> Abort mission. <laughs> Abort mission, right? Yeah. So that's, again, it's coming from that instinct to, to get away. And again, it all comes down to survival, okay? So the survival mode is triggered by, by an experience of not being safe. So that's kind of like a baseline um, thought or experience that sets it off, right? Like, I'm not safe. And this is really challenging in equestrian sport because, you know, there, there, is, a real, um, there is a real risk and there is a real safety element to being on a horse. And we know that, and we have past experience that's proved it to us where we have fallen off or the ha we have lost control temporarily. And so that I'm not safe feeling can, can actually become can quite ingrained in us if we've had a number of experiences of, of falling or, or losing control on a horse. Um, so the way out of that is to so in order so the person who said a proactive state which is kind of a cool way of putting it where um we're able to move and take action and do something because we know that that's often what helps in that moment like we want to move the horse we want to change their focus we want to get them bending we want to do something right to deactivate the, the tension in the horse so the way to to get there is to first of all help ourselves feel or we need to help ourselves feel safe in that moment and now this is tricky because you could argue, well, I'm not safe. <laughs> I'm on a horse. <laughs> the horse is frozen. I, the horse is going to explode. <laughs> um, uh, so there's like a decision to make here where even though, okay, yeah, you can acknowledge the fact that there's, that this is a thing. This is what I always come back to is that 
there's all there's always a level of risk on a horse's back, even if the horse is calm, right? There, there's always a certain amount of risk when you're on that horse's back. And so you could argue that we are never 100% safe on a horse. And we accept that risk as riders every time we get on a horse's back. So um, I have to make a conscious choice to, um, to recognize that to be the safest we can possibly be on a horse, we need to be calm. So calm is always safer than panic because panic freezes us and reduces our options of how we can respond in that moment. Calm um, helps us stay more grounded and allows us to react with, there's, we suddenly have more options of how we can respond to that horse, which keeps us safer. So with all that backstory, basically what we need to do in that moment is practice uh, deactivating our fear response by taking a really deep breath. We talked a little about this before, in through the nose, right into the belly button, and then out through the mouth. And we need to tell ourselves, and it sounds silly, but we have to tell ourselves, I'm safe. I've got this. Um, can we just, sorry, can, can we right just... Can we all mute? Because I don't know if it's me or what, but we keep getting a bit of feedback and that I just want the recording to be clear. Yeah. That's sorry, sorry, carry on. I was hearing that, that feedback too. I thought maybe it was just that better. Yeah, I thought it was maybe just on my end, so thanks. Um, okay, so um, we need to... Yeah, so take that deep breath. So that's a, there's a physical side and a mental side. The physical side, which actually sends a message to our brain that says, it's okay is taking that deep breath. Um, and that sends, there's actually a nerve called the vagus nerve that runs from our brain all the way down our spine and connects in with our diaphragm and our intestine and our heart. Um, and taking that breath sends a message back up that nerve into our brain that says it's okay because if we were really in danger, we wouldn't be taking a deep breath. We wouldn't have time for that. <laughs> right? If you're about to face down a grizzly bear, you don't have time to take a deep centered breath. <laughs> so by taking that breath, we're sending that message back out to the brain. The mental side then is telling ourselves, I'm okay. I've got this. I'm safe. I'm able to handle this. I'm able to manage whatever this horse tries to throw at me. I've got this. Um. And then we just need to move. We need to introduce some movement. So um, whether that is, um, yeah, again, depending on the situation, right? There's a lot of different different things that could look like uh, in order to to deactivate the horse, the horse's tension. Okay, did that make sense? Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So when you say move are we do we have to move ourselves to kind of make sure we're kind of reminding ourselves we're safe or do you mean move as in move to get the horse to do something different to kind of get his focus back so kind of both so movement helps us break us out of that freeze mode as well so like for example i was working with a client recently who she would slip into that freeze mode every time she thought about cantering because she'd been bucked off a couple times in the canter so every time she thought about like actually asking for the counter, she would kind of go into that panic response. So what we did in that scenario was that um, she would uh, she practiced sitting in the trot 
and starting to think about preparing for canter while simultaneously taking a couple of those deep breaths, telling herself, I've 100% got this. I'm prepared and ready to deal with whatever happens in the canter. And then she also, while taking those breaths, we introduced, I said, just move your body somewhere. So she she decided she was just going to like wiggle her, her ankle in the stirrup a little bit. And so that movement, just moving your body, um, helps to um, break out and, and break out of that freeze mode specifically. So um, that's really useful, specifically if we feel ourselves actually like I can't move. And so for her, the experience was she would start to think about canter and then she like felt like she literally physically couldn't put her leg back to ask for the canter. Okay, so if that's the experience, if we're feeling totally frozen, okay. just think, okay, I need to breathe. And I just, like, she just wiggled her ankle. Okay, that, okay, now, and now I'm breathing. And now I've got the, the good self-talk in my head. And then, okay, actually, now I can ask for the counter. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. It's kind of just mm-hmm. breaking that cycle a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and giving yourself time to do that. And so because there's, in that scenario, there was time to kind of, like, move through all those different motions. Um, if you know, a different scenario, if the horse has like frozen and is like staring down the field and, you know, it feels like a huge ball of tension. Again, it depends how you're reacting. If you feel yourself completely freeze and you feel like you're just frozen, perched on top of a frozen horse, which happens sometimes, then again, okay, yeah, we need to breathe, introduce the movement. And then we need to start thinking, okay, what do I do here to deact- to, to um, distract my horse? If it's more just that you're feeling holy smokes, I just want to get off and get out of here, but you don't feel frozen, then probably just the breathing and positive self-talk in that moment will will be enough. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Karen and Jess? Sorry, I know Jess is cooking, so she yeah. might have, she might not be, she might be in an oven right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, it makes sense to me. I just, I, and it's almost like, you know you need to do that, but I, which is where I'm not like frozen, but I'm actually just terrified. I forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a certain amount of um, if there's if we're regularly terrified. So if there's a certain scenario that where you're really feeling that fear kicking in, um, it might be really useful to rehearse that mentally a few times. So whatever that scenario is, like run that through in your head and imagine yourself reacting differently in that moment. And then it would be worth just thinking about what are the underlying beliefs that are kind of fueling that fear and fueling that terror? Because I would argue that if, if that's a really um, common or like recurring experience in the saddle, then there's some kind of belief system there that's making it seem really true that actually you're not safe. And so two things are possible there. One is you have a very dangerous horse, so you're on a really dangerous horse and you're actually not safe. And in that case, something needs to be done about that because that that's your brain and body giving you like a, a valid warning signal <laughs> that like actually you should abort because this isn't safe. Um, scenario two is that actually we are as safe as we're ever going to be on a horse, but your body's reacting to old memories of similar scenarios where things have gone wrong on other horses um, and or there's some kind of deep belief system that's telling you I'm not capable or I'm not a good enough rider and therefore I'm not safe or something like that, right? Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so there might be more digging to do for that scenario. 
around or just it might even be worth to just write down some ideas like what's what might be fueling this experience for me yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Thank you. Um, you know, we use visualization for kind of the things we want to happen. Could mm-hmm. you use visual visualize visualization <laughs> for this kind of scenario as well? Like, could you picture your horse spooking at someone and how you normally react, and then picture the same scenario again, but reacting how you want to react, and doing that over and over? Is that would that help, or was that thinking yeah. too much about the negative sort of stuff? Yeah, often we think that we should avoid visualizing it going wrong because somehow that makes it more likely for it to occur. But actually, when we when we visualize something going wrong and then finish out the visualization, so we we think we we visualize how we would respond when that thing goes wrong. Uh, it takes some of the fear out of that scenario and helps us feel more prepared. So, um, for example. If you've ever like visualized cross country course or a dressage test and like actually your brain throws a weird thing in where now you've suddenly seen yourself falling off or having refusal <laughs> or, you know, going the wrong way in your test. And what's really useful is instead of just going, ah, <laughs> don't want to think about that and like starting over again, instead, like stick with it and be like, okay, brain, that's what you threw at me. So cool. Like, what would I do? So what would I do if I, if I lost my way in the test? Okay. So I'd stop. Um, you know, presumably somebody would call into me, um, or I'd stop and take a second, realize where I needed to go, restart, and and picture like really see that through. If I have a refusal, what would I do? I'd take a second, recollect, you know, tap tap, on the re, you know, come in with more energy, come in with more straightness, whatever needs to happen, over the jump, on we go. I fall off, what would I do? Okay, I'd be okay. I'd, I'd get up, I'd brush myself off, I'd catch my horse, I'd have a think about what happened. I'd talk to my coach. I'd see if I could come back and school that jump after the bench, right? And I'd learn something from it and I'd move on. So so seeing that through in any kind of scenario um, helps us feel more prepared. Sure. Perfect. Um, yeah, so just to kind of clarify for the recording for the ladies as well. Um, the first thing we need to do is take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Because this kind of tells our brain, actually, if we have time to take a deep breath, we're okay. <laughs> We're not actually going to die. And then we need to get some sort of movement, especially if we freeze um, some sort of movement and just to kind of reassure ourselves that we're actually, we're okay. We've been here before. Mm-hmm. We've survived. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So I encourage everyone to give that a try and then let me know in future sessions how it goes and we can, we can talk more about it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, should I get the second question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this one is from Sue. How do you deal with those times when either you or the horse or both of you are going through like a rough patch where the horse is broken, you're not quite on form, you're not quite there, and it feels like it's the end of your dreams, like it feels like it's the absolute end of the world. Um, and people always say, oh, it's okay, you've got time. But for Sue, she says that's all right, it's all right to say that when you're 20, but now she's getting towards 66 and she feels like she actually is running out of time. Um, so to kind of put it into a bit of context, her horse, she came back from holiday, um, she had a lovely time, came back and I, she started on the workouts again. And obviously when you have time off, it hits you a bit more, doesn't it? You feel a bit achy and a bit sore. So she was feeling a little bit sore. She got on the horse and the horse has allergies. Um, and he got a little bit fat while she'd been away. 
so she <laughs> rode him and he his breathing was really bad and he's about 20 okay. as well so okay. Sue was really down in the dumps and just kind of felt like oh what's the point we run out of time we can't do this it feels like the end of the world mm. how do you kind of pull yourself out of that situation because I've been there a few times as well <laughs> have we not all yes absolutely um so first of all, I would just say to Sue and to anyone who is, can resonate with that, that the sto- no matter what age you are, the story of I'm running out of time is not, it's not a helpful story. And funnily enough, you, know, you could argue that, okay, maybe that is more relevant at the, at, in your 60s, um, but, but people grab onto that story at all stages of their writing career. Um, and regardless of the stage of your writing career and regardless of the age you're in, that's not a helpful story because the more we we frame it that way, the more we're going to feel panicked and uh, disillusioned and sort of it really fuels the thinking of like, what's the point? So I'd encourage um, anyone who has that story to, to really think about challenging it and and recognize it as, as a really unhelpful narrative that uh, has maybe become a bit of a habitual thinking pattern. Um, to break out of these difficult moments, we need to be more clear for ourselves about our why and why we connect with and ride with horses. So a lot of the time we have really clear goals and whys around certain performance outcomes. So we might want to be competing at a certain level or even just riding at a certain level. So even if we're not competing, we may have a, a, something in our mind that says, well, I want to be doing these movements. Or I want to be jumping this height just for me because it's important to me. Um, so those are really great to have and they play a big role in moving us forward in our riding journeys. However, those goals and those outcomes are not the only reason we're in the sport. And if we get overly focused on those and then we start to have this this feeling of I can't reach those or I don't have enough time to reach those, it can feel this feeling of what's the point. Um, so we need to zoom out and sort of intentionally reconnect with all the other things that we get from participating in riding. So it's a little bit like we need to, to, to uh, stop focusing so much on that in those moments on the outcomes that we're working towards. And instead, start to pay more attention to the everyday value that we're getting from spending time with our horse, participating in the sport, connecting with the community, um, and to appreciate the challenges that we that we embark that we encounter on that journey. Part of the reason you all ride horses, myself included, is because you like a challenge. And we may not remember that when we're in the challenge, <laughs> and it's really difficult. But I promise you, you like a challenge because if you didn't, you'd be playing tennis or um, lawn bowling or knitting. <laughs> you wouldn't be riding horses. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing because it's, it's a challenging choice. It's a challenging sport. So we have to remember that by choosing to be an equestrian, we are choosing to struggle regularly. And there, but that's not empty struggle. The struggle always has meaning. It's, um, it's shaping us as people, it's teaching us valuable skills, it's forcing us to get creative, it's forcing us to dig deep and find resilience and strength. There is so much value that we get from that struggle. So when we're in those moments of struggle, we need to kind of shift our perspective and zoom out a little bit and say, hang on a sec, even if there was no opportunity for me to reach my performance goals, my performance outcomes that I'm looking for, what else is here for me? 
why why am I why would I choose to stay? Because I would argue that ninety nine point nine percent of writers would choose to stay, even if for some reason they knew that that those show performance outcomes weren't possible. Sorry, I'm writing notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really. And so we can prepare for those difficult moments by by getting really clear, like right now, and thinking about. Like, why am I a rider? Why do I ride? What's everything I get from riding? What do I get from riding when it's easy? And what do I get from riding when it's hard? And how do I remind myself in those hard moments that actually I chose this and this is why I'm here? And, we, and the cold, like the cold hard truth is that if we're not prepared to struggle, we have no business being equestrians. We have no business setting big high performance goals for ourselves because that's what it is to set high performance goals. Um, I'm watching the, the documentary Cheer on Netflix right now. And I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's about a cheerleading team in the States that do like insane acrobatic, like circus stunts and like, holy smokes, those kids struggle. They're like bruising ribs and twist, dislocating elbows and like literally like throw it. Like it's insane the amount of struggle they go through, but like, that's why they're there. They're there to do it, you know? So we have to recognize the value of struggle as part of the of the of the equestrian experience, as part of the sport experience, as part of the performance, high performance experience. Any thoughts or like lead on questions from that, or does that does that make sense? Can I clarify anything for anyone? No, that, that makes sense to me. It's kind of, I guess, coming back to this um, a little bit to a training you did that's on the ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ego, um, I can't remember what the other one was. Mastery. Yeah, ego yeah. and mastery. Like, are we doing this for other people or are we doing it for us because we want to improve and we want to get better, etc.? Yeah, yeah. It's the ego in us that's saying, oh, I'm so yeah. frustrated. I don't think you should put it. Sorry, go ahead, Karen. Yeah, sorry, I was just It's just putting pressure on yourself, isn't it? You should do it for enjoyment first and you know, the rosettes or, or what have you are all a bonus rather than that's the focus, unless you're a professional mm-hmm. rider. Um, you know, we're, we're in it for the enjoyment and especially, well, I know myself, someone not quite Sue's age, but, um, you know, it, it's, I do it for the enjoyment. It's not, yeah, it's nice to compete now and again and be that a little bit competitive, but if I don't feel like it or he's not up to it or something's happened, I just don't get upset about it anymore. There's always another time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the really important thing to say about that perspective is that it actually makes us more competitive in terms of it actually allows us to perform better when we focus on the process of the day-to-day improvement and just mastery and finding the joy and riding for the joy of it. And that's what's so funny about it. So sometimes people think that taking that perspective somehow means that they're not going to do as well. They're, they're giving up the, the dream of doing well the competition. But actually, the opposite is true. We perform better and we are more competitive when we can tap into that um, into that joy of the process. Hopefully that makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you maybe say about... what? I, I can really sympathise with what she's saying because I've been there a few times. Like, even when you get really down in the dumps, like I've done all of this, I've worked so hard, and now it's just all gone. I was the mm-hmm. same. Like when Calvin broke his leg, like 
I put, I spent all my money on this horse. I had dreams on this horse. And then it was just like taken away like that. And I was like, well, what's the point? I might as well give up now. Yeah. And you just get really down in the dumps. And I understand what you're saying about the process and learning to love the struggle. And like now I'm on the other side of it. I can completely agree with all that. But mm. in the moment, it did take me like, you're like kind of heartbroken at the thought that you can't reach your dreams. Mm-hmm. It is heartbreaking. And um, uh, yeah, and I've been in a similar situation when, when my last competitive horse developed arthritis in his hocks and it cut short the whole the whole dream that I had um, to get to intermediate with him. And so um, it's kind of, I like the analogy of heartbreak and grief because like grief, um, we can't skip over the, the moment of pain. So learning to love struggle doesn't mean that suddenly the struggle becomes easy or enjoyable. The struggle is still the struggle, unfortunately. Um, and actually, I, I'll, I'll share with all of you that I, I just went through a breakup myself. And so this is all actually very, this, this concept was very fresh for me in my mind because I was actually having a conversation with my dad about it. And I said something like, I felt like I should be able to get over it faster because I have all this mental training. I know how the mind works. I know how to like, think my way out of things and I was sort of saying like why can't why am I still so upset I can't seem and he kind of and he said Annika like you can't he said something which really stuck with me um that self-awareness guides you through the journey of difficulty but it doesn't allow you to skip over it (laughs) and in fact you shouldn't skip over it because the heart like the actual like the struggle the hard part this is difficult the grief like that's where you grow um, so we, so we have to go through the struggle to get to the other side. So we've talked about like high performance fun, which is like that satisfaction. And it's the other side of our sport where, where it comes together and we have those amazing moments of wonder and joy and like we did it and just the intense satisfaction of accomplishing something. And often we, we can't get that without going through the struggle. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that can be done or said to necessarily make those moments easier. But building um, mindset skills and building an awareness, what that does is it helps us to guide ourselves through those moments a little bit more efficiently, I think. So in, so we still have to move through them, but we don't get stuck in them as long. We don't wallow in them. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of the best way that I can answer that question in this moment. Um, if anyone has any other thoughts on that, please do chime in. It's, it's a big, it's a tough one. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. So you're like, there isn't really anything we can say. There's no quick fix that's going to make you feel magically better. You just kind of got to ride the wave a little bit and yeah. look look for the, the positives in it. Yeah, when you're able to. And you yeah. may not be able to the first day, but maybe you're able to the next day, right? Like, um, and, and, and there's, okay, so here's the other piece, actually, that I think is really useful. It's trust. So if you can have the awareness to trust that you will feel better at some point in the future and that this will be okay again at some point in the future, that helps us to weather the, the difficult moments. And I think that's part of what mindset does. When we, are, when we have the awareness to understand that like the struggle is a moment, it's a part of a process, and it's a process that we're embracing, it's kind of like we're saying, I trust that there's another aside to this. And even if I don't exactly know how I'm going to get there, I'm going to, I can trust that I will get there and I'll be okay again. And this will be okay again. And I'll be moving forward again. 
Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to like dig deep for the self-trust. And in fact, self-trust, I think, is something that the more we can cultivate that as riders, the better, because there's a there's a lot of sticky moments in our sport, <laughs> right? Like the horse's legs go, their backs go, our backs go. <laughs> like there's all sorts of stuff that happen. And so we need self-trust a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. I think that's kind of answered them too. Um, Jess, have you got any questions that you wanted to um, um, When I came on, I was like, oh, I haven't thought of anything to ask because, and I actually had it in my head, I was like, wow, why would I? My horse is lame and I'm going to give up soon. And that, that's, mm. that literally is like hit the nail on the head that I've gone, my horse has gone lame again. And so he was lame a couple of years ago and I went through well, we did, I think I did 12 weeks in hand walking. Mm. Um, hasn't got, like, done, broken a leg, done a ten tendon. He is just, his injury is that he has, uh, his pelvis is shunted into his spine and he has degeneration of the disc. It's not curable. Mm. Like, but, like, it was all about making him pain-free and, like, strengthening him up and he got loads better. And then he's gradually gone downhill this spring and, like, I kept saying to people, he doesn't feel right, he doesn't feel right. And people were like, he's fine, you're just panicking. Mm. He's fine. He then the physio was like, no, actually, he doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like better than last time. He should be feeling better. And um, so we've like kind of gone, taken a step back and been like, right, well, what's going on? Um, and I've stopped riding and I thought it would be like, it'll be really quick. We'll work out what it is and then we'll get it over and done with. But it's taken so long that I'm like, I've literally wasted two, another month. And it's now mm. I've, I've actually had another physio out today to do some endeavour on him. And I said to her, like, um, what what do you think he can do? Because she'd asked me, what do you want to do with him? And I said, I brought him to event him. Um, but I said, but I'm unrealistic, thinking that he won't jump. And she's like, he can jump, but it's not good for him. Mm. And it, like, that was then like, yeah, no, that dream, I've got to like let that dream go because... Yeah, I think it's tough, honey. Yeah, it's tough. Um... God, why am I crying? Because <laughs> it's hard. Because <laughs> it is heartbreaking waving away, waving them. So it's the worst. I, like we've all been there, honey. It's it's awful. It's really uh, hard. But like last time through the rehab, I'd already said there's no way my horse can jump. Like I'd already mm -hmm. got them, and was like, right, we're gonna do dressage. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. And I'd even got to the point where I was like, if he's just a hacking horse, it's fine. Like he's. Mm -hmm. He can be fun to hack. He's actually not that fun to hack because he's nappy as anything. Um, <laughs> but I think is I went for that rehab and then I had people being like, well, we've been jumping, going amazing. And um, he then got ulcers and then became an asshole. And then the ulcers are gone, but he's remained an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't hack my pony for fun because it isn't fun. Yeah. Um, that I'm now trying to find that like positive whereas before I was like embracing the whole rehab thing like I was embracing the in-hand walking mm -hmm. hard now to embrace the fact that tomorrow morning I've got to get up and walk about it in hand because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. being one day in hand and one day ridden mm -hmm. um, and I'm like I can't find that positive light does that make sense mm -hmm. but it's probably just doing that dream shattering again isn't it yeah and I suppose like it's interesting to think about, okay, so um, 
like to nearly again zooming out. I do think the zooming out can be useful because it's so easy to get caught up in the, the like the challenges of the immediate moment that we're in. Um, so it's good to remember that he is your horse right now, but he's probably not the only horse you're ever going to own. Yeah, that's true. Right? Okay. Um, now, I, what it seems like to me, and of course, I only have had, heard a very brief, you know, account of what's your situation, um, but it seems like you have potentially some really big decisions to make coming up, right? About like what his future is going to be, um, which are going to be really tough decisions. Um, and part, so part of the dream shattering is, is, is that maybe you're not going to do those things with him. But I would just to zoom out, remember that like, that doesn't mean you're never going to do those things. There might be another horse in your future who you will get to do those things with. Um, so reminding yourself of that. And, and again, you know, there may be a million reasons flooding into your mind right now about why that isn't possible or why that couldn't work or why there isn't another horse out there for you. And so that's where the trust comes in. Sometimes we don't know how it's going to work out, right? Um, and we, and so there's a certain amount, there's a certain amount of, well, there's a lot of trust we have to dig into that says, okay, yeah, even if I don't know how that would even be possible for me to find another horse to do that on, um, I need to trust that if that is actually what I decide is really important to me, that I'll, I'll find a way. I can figure that out. Um, and so what that does is it helps us separate the, the bigger picture of your dream from like the immediate situation, which can help make it feel slightly less overwhelming sometimes. So it's not that your whole dream is, is dying in this moment, it, but you know, there's just a specific dream potentially of doing it with this horse in that true might, that dream might be over. Maybe it's not in his future to do that. Um, and then there's a, but then there's a question of, okay, well, what does his future look like? Like, what is he capable of doing pain free? Um, is, is he better off doing that with a different owner who doesn't have the same goals? Like, is there a person out there whose goals might align with what he's capable of doing? How would you feel about that? And again, these are all very big questions that I'm, and I don't mean to casually throw them out there because I know that they're huge questions and big decisions and, and, um, very, sometimes very, very difficult to consider because we, of course we, we love our horses with our whole heart. Right. And often we buy them with the intention of having them for their entire lives. Um, but, but I think in this moment, it's, it's good, you know, just to, to, it's almost like you need to start being really innovative and really like throwing out all these different ideas, because in reality, there's a thousand different ways this could work out. Um, and so part of the way that we find the way it does work out is that we start just getting super creative and just like literally going, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? Or what about this? Thousands of different ideas. And, and a 999 of those ideas won't work but one of them will. So I would encourage you to think about getting really clear about what your non-negotiable dreams and values are in the sport in terms of the things that you want to continue to work on yourself that feel really important. And think about that nearly being a little bit separate then from deciding um, what, what to do about this particular horse and in supporting him to have the best future he can have. Um, yeah, is, is that kind of making sense so far? Yeah, yeah it just kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I have kind of been like, well, should I just get him alone, somebody to loan him, and then mm -hmm. I get something out or that sort of thing. But, like, I don't know, at the moment, I'm still, like, holding on to him mm -hmm. as being, like, something, because I've literally spent God knows how much money on trying to make you sound. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think 
I don't know, maybe like in my back of my mind, I'm like, no, let's look at, and I did change the dream, like the dream this uh, this winter, I was like, right, we're going to do a not BD novice this year, mm-hmm. we're going to go do that, like, we're going to find him a medium trot, and he's going to do it, and we're going to, we're going to do it, and I think it's just now, like, because he was going so well, I was like, oh, maybe we could do some combined training, we can do a bit, like, and then mm-hmm. the, like creeping back into my head um and I think seeing everyone else jumping and stuff you're like I want to join in but Did I know you? kind of I need to focus on like working out where he's actually going to be at in six weeks time or whatever what what is it I, I always go well he's gonna have to be put to sleep like he's gonna be laying forever mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the worst case scenario look at the worst case don't you straight away yes yeah um, yeah no that does make sense like looking at what uh, you kind of need to know about what is actually the real thing and going does that fit with what I want to do um mm-hmm. definitely and I always think I'm too old and like then I hear like Sue's like 66 and I'm 30 and I'm like I need to do my <laughs> boobs if I want I didn't start writing till I was 30 <laughs> right <laughs> this is what I mean about everybody has that story it doesn't matter like <laughs> you're what you're like how old you are or how many years you've been riding like we all feel like we're out of time <laughs> I find life throws you curveballs all the time mm-hmm. and I've, I've lost quite a few horses or had various things happen and it's really hard and heartbreaking but you always find it's a journey and something else unexpected pops up afterwards. And what you've gone through previously has been a really good learning curve for the next horse. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm on my third Frisian yeah. and um, he, he's dream. Still got his quirks and things, but the first one I loved... I love them all, you know what I mean? Mm. But he's probably the best riding horse of the three. Mm. Um, and you just think, well, you know, it's sad, but I knew those horses. I had that time with them. I gave them the best life I could. Unfortunately, things happened, lost them. But I've now got a really good horse and I've improved and my knowledge and confidence has going up with it so if I can do it at my at 30 you've got tons of time (laughs) yeah so true (laughs) I would say too Jess that like listen to that voice in your head that's saying I want to do that I want to jump I want to do combined training because it won't work in the long term to try to adjust your dreams to meet what he's capable of doing those dreams are strong and they're not going to go away. And I think it's important that we listen to them and, um, and that we, as Karen said, you know, we recognize that there's, we don't often, there's many horses in our journey <clears throat> and it doesn't mean that um, we're not a bad person and we're not a bad horse owner. If we, just, if we recognize that, that maybe the rest of this horse's life is better spent with someone else. Um, Selling my last horse was the best decision I ever made for him. He went on to the most fabulous dressage home. He couldn't jump anymore. But they went on and did so well in dressage, winning championships left, right, and center. His family was obsessed with him. They still have him to this day. There's no doubt in my mind that they gave him a better end to his life than I would have. 
because I would have wanted to keep jumping. <laughs> and he wasn't able to do it. It would have been, he would have been a pain, right? Even though he loved it. So What are you telling me? Second talks. Second talks. <laughs> <laughs> do you need us to have a word with um, partner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You can get this in writing. I'm happy to get my professional opinion. <laughs> it's all right if recorded. Annika's a professional and she says you need yeah. a second horse. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just it. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. Problem solved, yeah. <laughs> totally. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps. It's a big it's a big thing. Um, but I would just, yeah, start challenging yourself to get really thinking about all the options, try to ground, get all the real realistic information you can. So you're not making plans off like hopes and dreams of what's possible. Like try to get as much concrete information as you can and, um, and go from there. Thank you. Yeah. You bet, hon. And I always think when, um, a couple of situations like that, even like if it's changing job or whatever when you when you kind of feel like you've only got one path to go and it's always tends to be the negative one because that's what we think about first when we then start thinking about other options suddenly it feels better because you're like actually there isn't just this one solid path i can go where i can go where i can't wait it just automatically makes it feel better because you've got options rather than just being like one negative path like i'm gonna have to just put him down it's done <laughs> yeah yeah, it can feel so hopeless yeah. in that place. Right? But then as soon as you start like, thinking so about positives. options, it feels a bit better, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And remembering that um, there could be an even... There, the best case scenario out of this is that he goes on, finds a great home where he's happily doing what he's capable of doing, and that you end up with the fabulous horse that you love and enjoy and are a few years from now are out doing all the things that you want to do right? Like that's our best case scenario. And there's absolutely no reason why that can't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just got to work on the part now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never selling because I think because of what's wrong with him, like, and he doesn't look outwardly lame. Like if I trotted him up, which most people, they'd say he's not lame. Mm-hmm. Knowing the little niggles that he has that, and I don't do that. So I think that would be bad for him to sell, sell him on because so many people have been like, no, just put him in drawings. We'll do this, do that to him. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's what he shows all like when he had ulcers. And I was like, no, he's just naughty. Tell him off. Uh-huh. And I was like, this, no, there's something else wrong. And there was. Um, but yeah, I suppose I'm very fortunate that we live on a farm that I could potentially one day mm-hmm. have too. But yeah, do um, yeah. convince in law. It's a good idea. And maybe there's a scenario where there's, you know, like, I don't know what it's called in the UK, but in Canada, we would call it like a free lease. So someone would take on a horse and they would cover their expenses. Like you you wouldn't necessarily charge them to to have him, but they would cover all his costs so that now it's no longer, you're not paying for him anymore. Yeah. Um, So like that could be a scenario, right? And that maybe opens the door to being able to afford the second horse. Yeah. Mm Yeah. There's lots of lots of possibilities. <laughs> if you live in a farm, take take a couple of liveries, then that can uh, the income mm. can cover your costs. I'll, I'll have enough. We we wouldn't have enough grazing, unfortunately. I struggle yeah. with grazing. They give me now because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. farmers and, hate horses, don't they? <laughs> they even have a yard, and they bought it another farm, and it already had liveries there, and like a couple of them have left, and I've been like, "Are you going to re-advertise like for the spaces?" And he's like. 
<laughs> Don't want any more horses here. I hate horses. No more horses. <laughs> the grass, I just cows. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. <Aww. laughs> cows just don't look as pretty in your fields, Mr. Farmer. And cows <laughs> don't jump. <laughs> I was going to ask you was about the the fear aspect, but mm. you kind of covered that already. It's just from trying to remember in that moment because you have that panic, and um, and I do incorporate a lot of what you know the the singing to myself, the breathing, the and I've been doing a lot more. Um, I'll do twenty minutes schooling and then we'll ride around a field and mm-hmm. we'll go down the road and we'll go down to the village and we'll go round the corner and we'll come back up the other road. So I have been kind of pushing myself a little bit mm-hmm. um, and and I, and I am a lot more relaxed now, yeah. I have to say. Um, so it's working. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really competed in person because I've been doing a lot of online stuff just because of how work's going at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Motivations probably, but it's sort of fallen off the wagon after having COVID and not feeling so great and sort of energy levels down. Getting myself kick-started again, that's probably another thing. Um, that that side of things just trying to get myself to into a routine and life's been a bit hectic at the moment so um so yeah probably trying to keep myself on track and being motivated and thinking of the long-term goals mm-hmm. but breaking it down into chunks and trying to sort of have achievable goals that will that add up to the big ones so I kind of know all the things I should be doing, but it's just making myself do it. This is the worst thing. Yeah, that, the question of motivation is an interesting one. So one thing I find really useful is um, to try, instead of saying, instead of just saying, okay, I'm not feeling motivated, to to challenge yourself to think about, well, what's sitting underneath that? Because unmotivated is kind of a blanket term so it, it kind of ex- explain it expresses this feeling of um like not wanting to or or it feeling it feels difficult somehow there's some kind of like effort so if we're motivated it's this idea that like it feels easy we want to do it um and then we're unmotivated it's effortful it doesn't feel easy we kind of don't want to we don't have energy so there's always something but that's really vague, right? It doesn't it doesn't give us any information as to why we're feeling that way. And sometimes if we just stop there, we can we can see we can be quite hard on ourselves. So if we're saying like, oh, I'm not motivated, we often frame that in a really negative way. And we have an expectation of ourselves to be motivated and be motivated people and riders. And then when we feel that we're not uh, motivated, we can be hard on ourselves over that like why am I not motivated like do better you know um and that can 
uh, interestingly, whenever we're really hard on ourselves, that actually has this weird feel, this weird effect of of making us less motivated <laughs> because it's increasing our experience of, of negative emotion. So to break that cycle, what's really interesting is to say, well, like, why, what's under the not motivated? What's going on for me right now? There's some reason, right? You're not, it's, you are, you want to rise. So, so the, the bigger picture motivation is there for you. So probably what's really happening, and you just, if you have some hints in what you just said there, right? Like, life's been hectic. So you're probably feeling a bit tired or potentially a bit overwhelmed, or there might be some other emotions coming in just from the other external parts of your life. And so we can say, okay, well, if that's what's creating this feeling, like, what can I do to help my, so first of all, let's see, like, is there a way I could try and get a little bit more sleep over the next couple of weeks? And, or is there like a conversation to have with a person to resolve something or is there, um, is there, do I just need to rest actually and take the pressure off myself for a couple of days so that I can feel more grounded and balanced. And when we do that, it often interestingly kind of like clears up whatever it was that was creating that unmotivated feeling. And, and I, I believe our natural state when everything's going well is to be motivated. So it's not about forcing ourselves to be motivated, but rather like clearing out what's blocking us and making us feel unmotivated. Yeah. Tiredness is a big thing at the moment, I think. I just, yeah. yeah. It's not like me to come in and sit down and I think, oh, I could just have a wee snooze. Yeah. <laughs> I never sleep during the day. <laughs> It's probably your body telling you something then, you know, like, and, and sometimes we feel this need to like fight through that. And maybe actually the best thing we can do is actually listen and like have a couple of naps. <laughs> Go to bed early, like take a day off from the barn, like give your horse the day off and like just chill, you know, and that can feel so like weird to us if we're in this habit of like, go, 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 drive, drive, drive. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's exactly but what yeah. we need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, motivation is a tricky thing. It's a, it's a, it's a complicated thing, um, like because there's so much that can Im- impact our, our our sense of motivation. Massively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that was fun. I hope I hope that felt useful to everyone. We just thought we'd change it up this month and see, you know, if there was if we could have a more like kind of direct. Uh, chat about some of the things that everyone's experiencing in their day-to-day lives so let us know if it felt useful we can do another one in a few months if, if you liked it or, or we can go back to our usual uh, routine so um yeah let us know let Nat know and um I certainly enjoyed it it was fun to just kind of sip all some things <laughs> yeah, I think it's really nice to kind of have like a yeah. just see where we go with this <laughs> totally yeah yeah and thanks everyone for weighing in and and for everyone who's here for and who sent the questions for, you know, being vulnerable and sharing your experience. It's not always easy to do. Um, but I know that everyone will take a lot of value from what you shared because there's always so much crossover in our experience. We're all, we're all going through a lot of the same things. Yeah, massively. Thanks so much, Annika. That was really, really helpful. My pleasure as always. I look forward to seeing you ladies next month. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.